1: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, February 11th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a bill to tighten voting restrictions in the state. Then, what's ahead for Medicaid in Mississippi? And we talk with the director of the Oscar-nominated documentary, The Queen of Basketball. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi House lawmakers have passed a bill that would allow the Secretary of State's office to challenge and remove from voter rolls some people who don't vote in two consecutive elections. Originally, the measure would have allowed for a broader number of registered voters to be removed. That language was taken out of the bill. But Jarvis Dorch of the HCLU of Mississippi says he still has concerns. Dorch speaks with MPB's Kobe Vance.
2: Mississippi remains to be the state that is hardest to vote in 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 this country. So we would hope that a state that is um, so restrictive would move and adopt policies that allow people to vote early, make it easier for college students to vote, um, allow people to request an absentee ballot online like other states do. But instead, we're getting these really um, regressive bills that are looking to make it, Not only make it harder to vote, but attack the electoral process and um, uh, really embrace the big lie that we had an election stolen stolen a couple years ago. Um, So HB fifteen ten, it's the original components allowed the Secretary of State to. uh, be able to conduct audits, bring in third parties and pay them to conduct audits of elections um, throughout the state in different counties. There were several auditing schemes that were in that bill, um, and these schemes were apparently going to be um, not not available to the public. You know, this is going to be something that was not a part of the Open Meetings Act. So these arrangements and how these audits were going to be uh, funded and how they were going to be Um, conducted would not be uh, open to the public. So we had concerns there. We also had concerns with the purging processes that were in there. These type of bills have come up in the past and have been voted down. Um, And luckily, we we saw that that the House was able to make those changes to much of the bill and restrict a lot of the bad things in the bill from going forward.
3: What would it look like in Mississippi if voter uh, purges were to be enacted, who would be at risk for uh, losing their voting status?
2: In the scheme that that the Secretary of State was proposing, people that didn't vote, if you choose not to vote in two consecutive elections, um, they could be put on an inactive list and eventually purged from the rolls if they don't vote in a couple and four consecutive years. So you are essentially targeting people for choosing not to vote which is, you know, that's your right. We want people to vote, but if you choose to not participate in an election, that doesn't mean you should be removed from the voting rolls. Um, So it targeted all Mississippians that that may choose to sit out um, an election or two. It was a really bad piece of legislation.
3: Now that it has been amended, um, some of the materials have been taken out that would uh, purge voter registration status. However, there still are some in here that would disqualify somebody from the voter registration program. What are your thoughts on the ones that still persist in the bill?
2: Yeah, we still have uh, major concerns about the, um, the section related to citizenship. This, uh, so it looks like the Secretary of State wants to implement a citizenship check scheme that is similar to the one that Texas used in 2019. Um, they don't currently use that system anymore because... Uh, When they adopted it, they flagged 100,000 eligible voters as being uh, non-citizens. And, of course, litigation followed. uh, The state agreed to stop doing it. And the Secretary of State over there, who was appointed, um, lost his job. And it's because the databases that are in this bill, in the scheme that Texas used, are flawed. They end up flagging folks that have become naturalized citizens. Many of the many of the folks flag in Texas registered to vote during their ceremony, following their naturalization ceremony. So this is the Secretary of State trying to adopt a failed policy from um, from the state of Texas. And you have to ask why, if you know this problem persisted when Texas did it, is the Secretary of State's motive to to purge people from the voting rolls? Is that what he's looking to do?
3: Republican lawmakers have said that, you know, enacting legislation such as this would create a system that is more secure uh, in terms of voting and would prevent voter fraud. Do you think that's something that, you know, Mississippians should be concerned about?
2: You know, sure people should be concerned about voter fraud, but they should also look at the evidence of whether or not that's it's going on enough to warrant putting in a system that you know is going to kick off Eligible, eligible voters and, and harm voters when there's not much evidence that a lot of fraud is going on. Should you go overboard and do something like this? And I, I think the answer is is definitely no, because you're going to be harming low income folks. You're going to be harming uh, black folks in this state. It's it's a um, something that's very overblown and does not does not fit this state. Um, We we should be making it easier for folks to vote. We have a strong voter ID law. There's no reason folks can't show up and show that ID and show that they're a Mississippi resident. And if they're not registered to vote, they should be able to register there like they are they are in some other states, because we have that strong voter ID law. Um, But we should definitely make it easier for folks to access the ballot instead of uh, looking for ways to make that more difficult.
1: Jarvis Dorch is executive director of the ACLU of Mississippi. Coming up, we talk with the director of the Oscar-nominated documentary, The Queen of Basketball. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor, from fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. In the early months of the pandemic, Congress passed a law that offered states a temporary boost in Medicaid funds in exchange for the states not bumping Medicaid enrollees off the program during the crisis. Proponents said the plan helped preserve access to health care coverage for low-income Americans. But now there's a problem. Roy Mitchell is with the Mississippi Health Advocacy Program.
4: What's at issue is that thousands of Mississippi Medicaid enrollees are at risk of losing their coverage when the COVID-19 public health emergency ends. Medicaid eligibility redeterminations have always been a source of coverage losses among Mississippi Medicaid beneficiaries. For several reasons, many people may fail to respond or don't respond on time um, to to notices, and, and these reasons include um, Paperwork that's uh, admittedly even confusing for me, uh, forms not reaching people because they have moved, and uh, several factors are coming together to make upcoming Medicaid eligibility redeterminations extraordinarily risky.
1: And there is a public health um, extension that has been given to Medicaid recipients during the pandemic?
4: Yes. Um, Under the Families First coronavirus, Coronavirus Response Act that went into effect in April of 20, uh, states had to maintain continuous coverage through what's known as maintenance of effort requirements. And uh, during that period, Medicaid enrollment increased by millions nationally. Um, In Mississippi, as of the end of October, our enrollment was about 789,000 people. Several factors are coming up to make the upcoming Medicaid Eligibility determinations, which is, again, extraordinarily risky for Mississippians. The volume of pending actions is likely to place a very heavy burden on the Mississippi Division of Medicaid. And um, there is a, a risk of inappropriate terminations of eligible individuals.
1: The main concern is there will be so many people that have to be recertified that the state won't be doesn't have the workers to keep up with
4: the demand right moving through the large numbers of determinations is going to be a huge undertaking made even more challenging because many people have moved or lost housing because of the pandemic
1: are there any efforts being put in place to have stop gaps
4: um yes um there, the federal government has uh, made some rec- recommendations um, and uh, a letter was sent to state Medicaid directors and um, you know they've they've asked that uh, the state strengthen the renewal processes update their mailing addresses to minimize return mail, improve consumer outreach, um, communication and assistance and um, an address, Strains on uh, eligibility and enrollment workforce that that states will have, um, but um, you know there's there's a lot of things that that we all can do uh, as consumer advocates. Uh, uh, we're encouraging um, uh, like-minded organizations to conduct outreach to remind individuals enrolled in Medicaid and CHIP, uh, to provide updated contact information. Um, um, we're working to conduct uh, outreach in, in various modalities, including uh, text messaging, to quickly communicate eligibility reminders. And then clinics and providers can implement processes to prevent and address return mail, uh, incorporate eligibility reminders, and request for additional information into their appointment reminders. Um, and some are even combining backs, vaccine and enrollment outreach into reminding people of um, updating their information um, in preparation for the end of the public health emergency.
1: And all this is underway
4: now? A lot of it is in the planning stages right now, um, but we're, we're running out of time. Right now, the public health emergency period is slated to end on uh, April 16, 2022.
1: And when you mentioned CHIP, that's a children's health insurance program? Correct. In a normal year, people fall through the cracks on this. What are you anticipating this year?
4: Well, as I said, we're, we're, we're preparing for uh, the worst and hoping for the best. Um, I think this is going to take a combined effort. It's going to involve um, um, providers working with our Division of Medicaid, um, many Medicaid managed care organizations uh, will need to um, pitch in obviously as well. Um, it's It's going to take a joint effort to recognize that this is an issue um, and uh, and avoid a catastrophe, if you will. I mean, this losing potentially losing thousands of people off the Medicaid roles at Mississippi um, will set us back tremendously in terms of our uh, health indicators. And and as you mentioned, children, um, we're particularly concerned about uh, the health and well-being of the state's children. And uh, this is just a huge risk when, when, when they, when they lose continuous enrollment, they lose preventive care.
1: Roy Mitchell with the Mississippi Health Advocacy Organization. Thank you so much. Thank you. Still ahead, we talk with the director of the Oscar-nominated documentary, The Queen of Basketball. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Queen of Basketball, a 2021 short documentary film about the late Mississippi basketball legend Lucia Harris has been nominated for an Oscar. The film chronicles Lucy's life from her rise to prominence as the centerpiece of of a brilliant Delta State women's team to her selection by the New Orleans Jazz in the 1977 NBA draft to her induction to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Filmmaker Ben Proudfoot directed the Queen of Basketball, but only a few years ago, he, like most Americans, had never even heard of her name, Lucia Harris. Proudfoot speaks with Mississippi Edition producer Rob Lane.
0: A friend of mine, Uh, who's a cinematographer and director, Haley Watson, she suggested that I look up the name Lucy Harris. And when I did, I found this incredible list of superlative accomplishments. Uh, Led her, her small college team to three national championships, scored the first basket in women's Olympics history, was the first and only woman officially drafted into the NBA, the first woman and the first woman of color enshrined in the Basketball Hall of Fame. And I also noticed a sort of continental shelf of information about her and her career after the late 70s and very little information about sort of what happened, why, speculation about why she said no to the NBA. And it just piqued my curiosity in the the extreme. And, you know, the question that was front row and center for me was, why don't I know about this person? Why is the name Lucy why isn't the name Lucy Harris a household name? She should be. And I was sort of further perplexed when it was really easy to get a hold of her on the phone. And when I explained who I was and that I wanted to come and kind of get her side of the story, she just said, Yeah, come on over. And so it was July 2020, the middle of the pandemic, and hopped in a minivan and drove to Greenwood, Mississippi in two days on empty pandemic roads. That's pretty remarkable. How'd you find Mississippi? How'd you like it down here? We we stayed in a, uh, we stayed in Itabena. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, in an Airbnb in Itabena. And honestly, we spent just a lot of time with Lucy. She was incredibly hospitable. Um, we enjoyed really uh, delicious um Chinese food from China Blossom, which is a Chinese restaurant near her house in Greenwood. We uh, traveled to Cleveland, Mississippi to visit Delta State with her and, and film some stuff at the Coliseum there. But um, I really enjoyed meeting Lucy's family and friends. And um, we had a good time. We were actually just there for her memorial uh, on Saturday. Let's talk a little bit about her passing,
5: your reaction when you found out she had died
0: yeah it it was um it was horror it was horror. it was the worst possible news we we could and it was also just i couldn't believe it she was you know she was 66 years old she was healthy she was active she was just not no nobody expected that it was heartbreaking my dad passed away about a year and a half ago also 66 coincidentally and so I was just right there with her family. I just I I feel for her, you know. Not 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 simply a loss for their family, but also a loss for for our, for our nation. You know, Lucy was an American hero. She was a, a pioneer. She was a first, a breaker of barriers. Um, and um, yeah, she's a she's a she. Her legacy will live on forever.
5: Well, part of that legacy is now sort of inextricably tied up in this documentary, which she basically solely narrates, which is an unusual construction for a documentary. Was that how you planned to have it coming in? Was it only after you spent some time with her that you realized, oh, my God, this woman could anchor this entire project?
0: Yeah, so that that is how I like to make films is basically letting people tell their own story and their own words and using whatever sort of craft that we can bring to the table in terms of music and sound design and cinematography and 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 editing to help you know uh leave out the parts that are maybe irrelevant to really uh lift up the the core narrative that that Lucy was telling us um but as you can see from the film she's an incredible storyteller um and then of course the the sort of other half of the the story from a filmmaking perspective was uncovering this surprise treasure trove of undigitized, um, uncatalogued um, archival footage and photographs that we found in the back corner of the vault of Delta State University's archives that perfectly illustrated in vivid uh, detail every detail of her college career. One thing that's really
5: striking about the documentary when I watched it is the, the confidence and the swagger she projects, and we can listen into a little bit of that.
6: I was taller than everyone else in my class. 6'3". They would tease me. Long and tall, and that's all. That I was tall and I couldn't do anything else. That wasn't true. I became a member of the team, but I didn't know how to play. I had to learn how to play defense, offense, pivot. I did develop a shot. It just came natural. I remember one game. I had scored 40 points. Their whole team had not scored for it. <laughs> my whole attitude changed about my height. It became an asset.
5: <laughs> Long and tall, and that's not all. You know, it really seems like her discovery of the game of basketball and how good she was at basketball really changed her relationship with herself in a very profound way, even though so much of her life, she lived like a normal person. She she seems to have that in the documentary, that sparkle of someone who was the best. Was that something that she just sort of exuded when you were with her?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I think, you know, she was 6'3", as someone who, as she said, was long and tall, and that's not all. And like I heard said at her her memorial this weekend by state Senator Jordan, he said, you know, she, she was somebody who came from this small town and rose up to be the best basketball player in the world. I think she knew that sparkle in her eye. She knew her significance, but she also knew how she had not been given her flowers in her life. And it was, it remains and probably will always remain one of the great, honors and satisfactions of my career to see Lucy, while she was still alive, receive some of those flowers, you know, uh, while she was still with us at the premiere in New York at at Tribeca Film Festival, you know, as accolades and emails and notes poured in as the film started gathering steam on, on the New York Times website. I think she thought it was pretty neat. And I just really wish she could have seen the Academy Award nomination on Tuesday morning.
5: Yeah. That Academy Award nomination for short, best short documentary. Is that right? Um, What does that mean to you and what does that mean to her family?
0: Well, to me, I mean, it's an honor as the director of the film. And I think it's a good film, but I think it's a great story. And I think Lucy is a great storyteller. And that's what people are responding to. They're responding to this person, this woman, Lucy Harris, who's, story ought to be remembered and celebrated. Um and so, you know, our, our whole team really feels like we're representing Lucy posthumously, helping rectify the gap between her significance and how well known she is. I know for her family, um it's, you know, it's been a roller coaster ride for them. Tuesday was the Oscar nomination. Saturday was her memorial. A couple weeks before that she suddenly passed away. So this this has been a, an extremely emotional time for their family. Um, and you know, it is a stark, um, coupling of, of grief and pride at this time for them and anyone involved in the project, because, you know, everybody's still mourning. Um, but at the same time feeling blessed that more and more people are finding out about Lucy's story, which is, what she would have wanted and as we face down this you know campaign of of you know trying to you know make sure the academy watches the films we're hope uh, hoping that uh, we can help deliver lucy one more win
1: Ben Proudfoot directed the documentary film, The Queen of Basketball. You can watch it on the New York Times website. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio coming up at 9. It's the Gestalt Gardner. Then at 10, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. See you Monday. We'll be back here at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. Have a great weekend.